inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast about horse training, equestrian sports, and building a better connection with your horse. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Let's start with some updates from the ranch. My horse, Annie, was at the breeding barn from the end of March of this year all the way until the end of July. I was gone on my boat trip from early June until mid-August, so a lot of that time I was gone, uh, but some of that time I was home. When we took her to the breeding barn, Annie was just whistle fit. She probably hadn't looked better, uh, more fit and in shape in her whole life. But sadly, she has come back from the breeding expedition out of shape, very soft. And she went four and a half months without being ridden. So I was eager to get started with her again. But it reminds me of how often people worry about horses that haven't been ridden in a while, whether it's a month or two months or six months or even years. You shouldn't worry about that. Why? It's just really not a big deal because horses don't forget. Horses don't become untrained. Annie is a mature, highly trained, very experienced horse. And none of that changes with time off, just like if you took a break from school. While you might need a little tune-up and refresher, you, you didn't become educated in the few months that you had off over the summer. So I find often that horses work better after a long period off than you would expect them to, even if they hadn't been ridden in a really long time. Now, had the horse been ridden by someone else during that time or had the horse been ridden outside of my supervision, I might have had reason to be concerned. But with no riding at all, nothing really changes with the horse other than her physical conditioning. She might get a little herd bound too, uh, but in, in my situation uh, or in this situation with Annie, that aspect was actually improved upon because she was herd bound with our other horses. And when she was at the breeding barn, she was kept in a pen by herself, so she didn't really get attached to anyone. So uh, really, it was mostly for her about physical reconditioning and also toughening back up to having uh, a saddle on your back as well as the weight of the rider. So what I did with her at first, um, well, the very first day, it took me almost two hours to just find all my stuff. So I had been absent for 10 weeks and the last time I had ridden was right before I left on my boat trip. And actually the last time I'd ridden was two days of hard riding for the Troxel photo shoot. And I wasn't riding Annie. I was riding my husband's horse, Casper. So I had switched all my tack around, switched the bits on the bridles. And then I just took off the very next day. So everything was disorganized. My stuff was all over the place. I still haven't found um, my, my custom bit for Annie. And uh, my grooming box had been pilfered. Um, I couldn't find the right bridle. The cinches were switched around on my saddle. Um so it, it took me a while to get my head back in the game and my tack all organized, but I really enjoyed reconnecting with my little mare. It was fun to give her a good full nose to tail grooming, get her legs cleaned up. Um, it, it didn't hurt that I had some brand new brushes to try out. We just found some really cool German-made brushes that uh, we're carrying in the store now. So if you want to check them out, you can go to shop.juliegoodnight.com. And I, I, I'm just thrilled at how nice they were. So I took my time grooming. Um, and that's time to reconnect with the horse as well. Uh, I finally gave up on finding her bridle and decided to just ride in a rope halter. It was a great ride uh, and we both enjoyed it. Well, uh, one of us probably enjoyed it more than the other one, but um, it, it was fun. And that was 11 days ago. I've been riding every day since. But bringing Annie back into riding shape after 20 weeks off, here were the issues um, I was concerned about. First and foremost is just her physical conditioning and getting her legged up, so to speak. And that just means that, you know, she's a 16-year-old mare. 
and she needs to get her muscle strength to the point where she can carry the weight of a rider and perform well without tweaking a muscle or tearing a tendon or something like that. So um, that's my first concern. And then secondarily, as I've mentioned, she's got to rebuild her saddle toughness. Just kind of like if you got a brand new pair of heavy hiking boots, let's say. If you had not worn those hiking boots and you had been wearing nothing but flip-flops for a year, and then you left on a major hiking expedition, having never once put those boots on your foot, you'd be in really tough shape in a few days. And that's kind of what I mean by saddle toughening. So if a horse has not been saddled in a long time and carried the weight of a rider, it takes time to ease back into that. So, so that takes a little bit of time and I want to kind of ease into it. And then the third thing that I was focused on is just simply reconnecting with my horse, fine-tuning our communication, slowly increasing the complexity of the cues I give her or the maneuvers that I ask for over a week or 10 days. So I usually have a certain rhythm to my rides. Uh, there's a weekly rhythm. And in this case, <laughs> I hadn't ridden in four and a half months. And so I, even if I'm riding every day, I always like to start easy on Monday. The horse has had a couple of days off. I've had a couple of days off. We've been apart from each other. Uh, so I ease into Monday with a fairly easy ride that we can have um, just fun and success with. And then I slowly build uh, what I'm asking of the horse each day, building to a crescendo on Thursday where I might either introduce something new to the horse or ask for something very difficult. And then Friday would be a light and fun day. I'd like the horse to enjoy the ride. I'd like it to be fairly easy. Um, sometimes I, this is might even be where I do something totally different, like go on a trail ride if I've been in the arena or, you know, drag a log or whatever. So on a daily basis, the rhythm of my rides, uh, generally I start every ride with a 10-minute long trot and about a five-minute canter. Um, split that between the leads. Then I'll go into one, two, three or four more challenging uh, things. And I will always quit my ride uh, when I feel my horse really do something super well or put out maximum effort for me. Uh, so I'm always starting to look for a stopping point, think about a stopping point uh, as I reach the end of my ride. And I'm waiting for that perfect response from my horse upon which I quit. And then we have a nice cool down and full spa treatment and the horse gets to go back to her happy place. So that's what I've been doing the last 11 days with Annie. First day I was riding in a rope halter and a Western saddle. She was super mellow. I didn't ask much of her other than walk, trot and canter. Then I took a little spin around the pasture with her buddies on the second day, uh, by then I'd found my bridle and put it all together. And I rode again in a Western saddle, same warm up through the canter. Um, this day I did a little more. I did a little collected work, started working on some bending and some straight lines. The third day I increased this trotting quite a bit and ad added some circles to the canter work. By the fourth day, I was starting to reach the absolute peak of my saddle soreness and Annie was starting to get a little bit cinchy. So I rode bareback for a couple of days and I did a little bit of bridalist riding during that time to just kind of remind her of and myself too of how, uh, how connected we are. So the deal was that this wasn't just an effort to get Annie back in riding shape as much as it was to get myself ready for two weeks of Ireland. I'm going on uh, two weeks of riding tours there literally tomorrow within 24 hours of making this recording, I'll be on a plane to Ireland. So I've been gone after 10 weeks of being on the boat. I'm uh, not even wearing hard pants, let alone wearing boots and riding a horse. So this is possibly the longest I've gone without riding in my entire life. It's been 10 weeks. Uh, that was more than when I was pregnant, about the same as when I had my knee surgery. So I came home and I had exactly 11 days to get back in riding shape for Ireland. So I decided to ride hard every day. 
I also wanted to lose a few pounds before going on a decadent vacation trip. And uh, you can uh, check out my five pound challenge page on Facebook if you're interested in that. So after the first day of riding, I was pretty proud of myself for not feeling too sore. At least that was until I sat down in the saddle on the second day. And OMG, my bottom hurt so bad, I thought I was going to die. Muscle soreness wasn't the problem. It was just my soft bottom. And the muscle soreness actually, I would say my riding muscle snapped back into shape pretty quickly. I was sore for a few days and then I started riding bareback. And one reason was to just kind of keep advancing the strength I was building in my muscles. Uh, But the tissue soreness, that was another story for me. I have really sensitive skin. I guess my butt is a little bony. Um, it, It was definitely the worst of the two, as I knew it would be. Even though I was riding in a ridiculously cushy Western saddle, and even then after I switched to bareback, so it was a little bit more comfortable on Miss Fat Round Annie, but it it was tough. I I would say it peaked at the worst maybe day four or five. I even actually, towards the end of my 11 days, started riding my bicycle too, just to help toughen up my dairy air. And then after about a week, I actually fitted my English jumping saddle to Annie and I was surprised at how good she looked in it. And I thought she was going to look ridiculous in an English saddle, but she actually was quite cute. She looked and could well be a lovely hunter pony. Uh, She worked really well in the English saddle. I think it's more comfortable for her in the Western saddle. Uh, She's very, very short coupled. And I just think maybe a saddle with a smaller footprint is more comfortable for her. And the English saddle was just really more to get my body in shape for this Ireland trip. And, you know, riding Western doesn't really prepare you for riding in an English saddle. It's in some ways more comfortable, but in some ways there's a lot more contact uh, with your legs and your seat. So i Spent the last few days actually riding in an English saddle. I I don't have any time left. I'm not going to get any more fit for this trip than I am right now since I leave tomorrow. So so that's been fun. You know, getting ready for a trip like this, a riding vacation, riding a different style on horses you're not necessarily familiar with. It's not just about muscle conditioning. It's also about tissue toughening, getting your equipment in order. Uh, making sure you have good mental preparedness, honing your balance. And if you're going on a trip like I am on a riding vacation where you're going to be riding unknown horses, it's a good idea to ride some other horses before you go, horses that you're unaccustomed to. If you aren't used to it, it can be intimidating. I know I've seen this in clinics at Sea Lazy U. If people are used to riding one or two horses, but they've ridden that horse for 10 years or more and not sat on another horse, it can be very intimidating to ride an unfamiliar horse. So I would suggest you would include that in your routine of preparing for a trip like this. Um, And that is, in fact, in part, what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast. Right now, I've had 11 days in a row of riding, bike riding, hiking, and dieting all to get in shape for my Ireland trip. And I leave tomorrow, just a day after making this recording. I've got um, two week-long clinics there with Connemara Equestrian Tours on the wild Atlantic coast of Ireland. I'll be home in mid-September, which is the most glorious time of year here in Colorado. And um, that's when I've got two programs at the Sea Lazy U Ranch in Granby, And in October, we have the Horsemanship Immersion Clinic at Sea Lazy U, which still has a few openings. It's a five-day horsemanship clinic at a luxurious guest ranch in the Rocky Mountains. The program is all-inclusive of meals, lodging, the program itself, and the horses you'll use. And it includes riding lessons, trail rides, groundwork, training and behavior, saddle fit, veterinary workshops, and lots more. 
October 26th to 8th, I'll be doing presentations at the CHA International Conference being held in Fort Collins at CSU this year. I'm doing clinics on teaching turnbacks as well as leadership and groundwork. The CHA conference is targeted toward riding instructors, trail guides, and facility managers, but it's open to everyone. As an attendee, you actually get to sign up and ride school horses in the clinics. So it's a lot of fun. And uh, the crowd at CHA is very welcoming to everyone, and it's sure to be a fun and educational event. I'm excited to finally be back at Equine Affair at Massachusetts this November. This will be my first time back there since before the pandemic. And I'm super excited to be seeing a lot of old friends and to be doing um, some new presentations there. So for details on these events and all my upcoming events, please visit juliegoodnight.com slash events. And to get the latest training advice and updates from me, be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at juliegoodnight.com slash news. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight. Last month, we wrapped up our Horse Goals or Bust series with exercises and strategies to manage anxiety and stay focused on game day and how to get back on track if things go wrong. Whether you're preparing for a competition, a big trail ride, or, or maybe just building up the nerve to try something new with your horse. Just because that was the last episode of Horse Goals or Bust, that doesn't mean it's too late for you to start your own journey. Just go to juliegoodnight.com slash horse goals to find the free step-by-step -step guide with resources on goal setting, horse and rider fitness, skill assessment, and a lot more. That includes every worksheet, every blog post, and every podcast episode to guide you at every step of the way, no matter what your goal is. Actually, I've got a few posts I'd like to share with you in the Horse Goals or Bust group on Facebook. And these were people that were kind enough to take the time to post updates about the horse goals they set for themselves. From Jessie, just a few days ago, she says, we met our goal last weekend. We made it to our very first clinic. Thank you, Julie Goodnight Horsemanship, for your wonderful workbook and podcasts. And there's a really cute picture of Jessie with her horse there. We got a really poignant post from Susan, and she said, this spring, I had some real trouble with fear and anxiety when riding. It was so bad that when I went to the local trails where I've been riding since the late 80s, I could not ride. I had to get off and walk. It was so discouraging. I asked for help from some friends who graciously would ride with me right by my side and gave me support. I had big trips planned to Shawnee, the Black Hills, and Custer this summer, and I was just really struggling. Thanks to support from my friends, I was able to move past it and did make my trips. My point to all of this is, when you are struggling, ask for help. Be vulnerable with people who can support you. That's really awesome, Susan, and thanks for that great reminder. She also posted some beautiful pictures of her and her horse on the trip. And then finally, I wanted to share with you uh, a comment from Kara. She's uh, someone I've known for some time, one of my online interactive students. And uh, Kara said, I went to three more horse shows this summer. We did very well at the first two open shows. I went to a more competitive show last weekend and got humbled. We just weren't on the same level as those horses at the bigger shows. I feel like we need to be lower and slower. I also need to work on flying changes. I still want to show more this year, but there aren't any shows close by. I'm going to breed my show mare next year, so I think that I will spend this fall starting my two-year-old gilding. I just wish that we could have ended the show season on a high note. Well, Kara, I think you did end your show season on a high note. You went to more shows. That was great. You did really well at the open shows, meaning that you have continued to progress and excel, but you just took it up another level 
and you, and you got humbled. And that's what happens. That's normal. Everybody goes through that. But you came away with that. And here's the reason why it was successful. You came away from that knowing what you had to work on, knowing a little more about what your horse's strengths and weaknesses are, and maybe having a little better idea of what you want to do next year and how you're going to get that experience you need at the higher level. So I'm proud of you, Kara, and I know all your horses are great. And I think, uh, you know, the world is your oyster when it comes to what you do next year. Now let's get started on the main topic. Today, I'm going to help you answer this question. Should you let someone else ride your horse? I'll go over some pros and cons, the value of having different people ride a horse, and the benefits for a rider to get on different horses. And in my what the hey Q&A at the end of this podcast, I'll answer questions from listeners about how to find the right saddle fit for a saddle phobic horse and a horse owner who wants to take off and travel the world without losing the years of hard work he's done with his horse. So should you let someone else ride your horse? Before I get started answering this question, first I want to tell you a story from a long time ago. Uh, This is a story that impacted me a lot. It's a true story. But when I first opened my own horse training business, it was back in 1985. And I was 26 years old. I was operating out of a leased barn. We were offering training, lessons, boarding, trail riding, overnight pack trips in the mountains. Like a lot of young horse trainers, I was mostly starting young horses under saddle and sorting out a few uh, quote unquote problem horses. Uh, You have to realize uh, when we say problem horses, that's what the people think that are bringing the horse to the trainer. Uh, But what the trainer knows is really almost all, quote unquote, problem horses have a problem created by a person. So I was a young and hungry trainer, eager to prove myself, and I'd pretty much ride anything someone was willing to pay me to ride. And one day, uh, this very nice couple from, oh, about an hour away brought me an eight-year-old quarter horse mare for training. Now, This horse at eight years old had almost no training. She had just been a pasture pet. She was barely halter trained. She had atrocious ground manners. She was big, a big, stocky, overweight quarter horse. And she had never done anything in her whole life that wasn't her idea. I learned several invaluable lessons with this horse And they are lessons that have had an impact on my training every day since. And there's a few of them I want to share with you that relate to this topic. So first of all, you have to understand there's a pretty big difference in training a young, impressionable horse and a mature horse that's never had to do anything, never had anything asked of it. Young horses are impressionable. They're curious. They're eager. They're easy to instill a good work ethic in because they're full of energy and they're full of life. And they're learning at such a rapid rate about their world and the other horses in it and the people in it and what they're going to be doing in their jobs. And so they're just a whole different animal than a fully mature horse that's been standing in the pasture with very little interaction and has never had to do anything. So because her ground manners were so bad, that was the only place I could really start with training her. There's, to me, no point in trying to ride a horse that, you know, you can't even safely handle from the ground. But she was big and pushy, and she would, you know, shoulder into you, kind of drag you around or walk all over you. And she was quite pissy about being told what to do, even just leading around. And so after a few days of this, I was starting to get short-tempered with this horse. So I would say lesson number one I learned with this mare was how important it is to keep your temper in check. And so this mare was so pushy on the ground that I had resorted to using 
a stud chain on the halter to give myself a little bit more leverage. Now, for those of you that don't know me, I am not a big person. I'm five foot four and this mare was pretty big. She was well over 15 hands, probably, you know, 12, 1300 pounds. And so there was a power differential there that I was losing. So I resorted to a halter chain uh, just to give myself a little bit more control over the horse. And after a few days of schooling her on proper boundaries about leading in a mannerly way, and we were headed out to the arena to do a little bit more groundwork when all of a sudden the mare and I just reached a complete impasse. She planted her feet in the ground and bulked up and refused to walk into the arena. And on that day, I had a pretty short fuse and I will never forget it. She was throwing a wall-eyed fit and I just came uncorked and I jerked that lead rope and started backing her up. And at one point in this whole ordeal, it was as if everything switched to slow motion. And I remember it so well. It, it was cold and muddy. So I had on my Sorrel Packers, which are these like big, bulky, heavy snow boots. It's kind of like having clown shoes on. And when I jerked hard on that lead and stepped towards her, I jerked it with all my might, all the might of a five foot four, 120 pound, 26 year old. And the instant I jerked on the lead, I knew I had made a horrible mistake. The chain tightened up on her chin and that surprised her because she didn't at this point up until now know that there was a chain under her chin. And she reared straight up in the air and struck out fast. And like I said, it was in slow motion as I realized I was standing in the mud with those clown shoes on. I started backpedaling as fast as I could to get away from those hooves that were raining down on me. And I, I saw these giant hoofs coming right at my face, but the mud was so slippery I couldn't get any traction to back up. But I managed to get just far enough away from her that she didn't kill me on the spot when she came down. But her hoofs did uh, graze down my forehead, left me with two black eyes and a long, ugly scrape down my nose. And, I, you know, I knew immediately that it was totally my fault, not hers. I surprised her with that chain and I was lucky I didn't get hurt worse. These were mistakes that I would never make again. <laughs> So there is a certain power in knowing you made a mistake because when you acknowledge it, you know you don't ever have to make that mistake again. And in that moment, I knew those things to be very true and I knew them to be mistakes I would never make again. And I haven't in 30 plus years since this happened. What I didn't know at the time, however, was how this incident had changed the mayor. So oddly, both the mayor and I came out of this experience quite humbled and quite changed. The mayor became very respectful of my space. Her manners improved significantly. And we moved on to her under saddle training and it proceeded flawlessly, almost effortlessly. And as, as time went on, I guess I realized that we just kind of had gotten past a hump at that point. Uh, but I didn't really realize the full extent of it until later. So a month or two later, I was riding this mare at a walk, trot, and canter. And she and I had a really nice partnership going. She'd pretty much do anything I asked of her. She had, oddly enough, developed a really nice work ethic. I was beginning to see her maturity as a benefit in her training and not a deficit. She was learning really fast. She was super level-headed and compliant. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't think much of this at the time. I was just real happy with how she was doing. So when the time came for her training to be nearing its end after about 90 days of training, I scheduled time for the owners to come and watch me ride her. And the uh, idea being after they took her for a test ride, they'd take her home and live happily ever after. So 
At this point, it's where I learned the really big lessons. The owners showed up and I rode the mare for them. I may have been showing off a little bit uh, because I had the I had the reins draped way down on her neck and my hands laying down on her neck and we sort of moved effortlessly around the arena, walk, trot, and canter. Um, from their point of view, standing in the middle of the arena watching me ride, it looked as if I was giving her zero cues. Of course, that wasn't true, but the mare by this point was responding to the slightest movement of a leg muscle or a finger twitch. And to the owners, it really looked as if I was just sitting there doing nothing, which unfortunately, is exactly what the owner did when she got on the horse. Now, in hindsight, I would have handled this whole thing very differently. But after I'd wowed them with how well the mare was working, giving her invisible cues and um, looking like she was going around the arena automatically, it was time for the owner to step up on the horse. The mare stood very quietly and compliantly as she mounted and we adjusted the stirrups and got her situated in the saddle. And there was about 30 seconds of riding that occurred before all hell broke loose. I can remember the scene like it was yesterday. And again, things seemed to switch to slow motion in this moment. The woman picked up her hands to direct the horse to walk off, which she did. And as I watched, standing just like 10 feet away, unable to help her, I watched as the mare went a few steps and then she took one obvious step off course to the right, but the rider did nothing to correct her. She went a couple of more steps and she took one obviously off course step to the left and the rider did nothing to correct her. At this point, I could see the little wheels in that mare's head starting to turn and she just, without any warning, other than the two testing steps she took, she just broke right into bucking, sending the owner straight to the ground like a yard dart. Her entire ride didn't last a minute before this horse bucked her off. And I'm telling you, the only one more shocked than me was the owner. It all happened so fast and unexpectedly. Since I'd seen the whole thing unfold right in front of me, I had a pretty good idea of what went wrong in hindsight. The lessons to be learned here were many, and I'd be lucky to learn them all. But the first thing was... I had been the only person to ride this horse up until now. So the differences that Mare felt between a rider that was giving lots of directive and lots of cues, even though those cues were really small, and a rider that's passive and sitting there doing almost nothing, that was a huge difference to the horse. The second thing was, I didn't realize it again at the time, but the big knockdown drag out fight I had that day uh, with this mare from the ground, well, that had permanently changed the nature of our relationship. And she had developed a certain respect and admiration for me. And she had begun to even work really hard to prove herself to me. But she was not ready to transfer that to another rider, especially the owner of the horse who had, after all these eight years, never done anything with her. Uh, they were going to have to earn their standing with her, and hopefully it'd be a little easier, um, but she was not going to give herself to another person that easily. The third of many lessons to be learned in this ordeal was that showing off and presenting a picture to the owners that I was doing nothing to guide the horse was a big mistake. Instead, and what I've done with every horse I've trained since then, as I'm showing you how I'm riding the horse... I make a big point of saying, you may not see what I'm doing, but I'm doing a lot more than you think. And I'll, I'll sometimes even say, you know, watch my legs closely and I'll, I'll tell you when I'm going to correct the horse now, you know, now, now, now. So kind of people get an idea that it may look like I'm not doing much, but I actually am giving a lot of guidance to the horse. Same thing with my hands. 
you won't see what I'm doing, but I am doing stuff to communicate to the horse what I expect. So another important lesson um, I learned and probably um, the most relevant one to this episode is that I would never again send a horse home from training without having at least three different riders on that horse. I'd be supervising it closely to make sure the horse didn't learn it can act differently for one rider than the other. I would put experienced riders and less experienced riders on the horse. Um, and I want to make sure that horse is going to follow the rules, shall we say, act in a reliable and predictable manner, no matter the rider that gets on them. So to wrap up the story about the older mare, I, I was fortunate that the owners did not take out their frustrations on me and did not blame the horse for my mistakes. And they allowed me to keep the horse in training for another month. During that time, I had about four different riders on that mare in all sorts of settings from the arena to the trail to groundwork. And this mare eventually went home and enjoyed a successful riding career. As far as I know, she never bucked anyone off again, at least not in the intentional and calculated way that she had on that fateful day. And so this brings me to the main subject of today. Should you let someone else ride your horse? Let's look at a few different scenarios in which it might happen. Maybe you have a horse and you want to get a a trainer or a much higher skilled level rider on your horse to school it, to find out what the depths of its training are, or maybe to practice or demonstrate a higher level maneuver that you're just beginning to learn. So often the rider has a lot to gain from having a higher level rider school their horse or from being able to watch a higher level rider school their horse and, and learn a little bit more about uh, better ways to ride the horse and or what the horse's capabilities are. Another reason would be to have a trainer or a more experienced rider get on your horse to advance its training, to either accomplish what you can't teach the horse or to teach the horse something it has no idea how to do. So it's really hard to teach something you don't know how to do yourself. So sometimes you want to enlist a more experienced rider for that. So another scenario would be a rider with a similar ability level to your own so that the horse just learns to accommodate other riders properly. The horse learns that sometimes it has to make adjustments and that's okay. Everything will be all right. Sometimes putting another rider on your horse with a similar ability level or even a lesser ability level, sometimes it'll bring out holes in the horse's training or let's say gaps in its obedience level, or maybe it'll illuminate some bad habits that you have that you didn't even know you had. For example, you have been holding the reins too tight and your horse is holding its head up too high. But when another rider gets on, you notice the reins are much looser and the horse's head is now much lower. So a lot can be observed and learned from watching other riders ride your horse. And maybe you have a friend who has a lesser riding ability than you do, but wants to try something new. You know, maybe your horse has a really nice automatic canter and you got a friend with a greener horse or a rougher horse and she's just trying to learn a canter, wouldn't it be great for you to be able to share your horse and both you and your horse help get that rider past their little sticky spot? Maybe you want to loan your horse out to someone while you're going to be on an extended trip. Uh, maybe you want to lease your horse to another rider to share expenses. You have to make sure you check compatibility and you have to have a complete confidence in the rider's handling and riding skills to help maintain your horse's training but this is entirely doable. Another scenario might be a small child or a beginner rider that just wants to sit on a horse. Horses can easily be taught to be extra cautious with small people or fearful riders. And again, horses can really work magic on people and inspire them. And then, you know, if nothing else, it's really a good idea to allow your horse to get accustomed to different types of riders in order to advance the horse's usefulness, to make him more reliable, to increase the marketability of the horse. 
and also to secure its future. You know, it's a terrible thing when a horse learns bad habits and learns uh, ultimately that it can get away with acting one way around a less experienced person, but it has to act differently around an experienced person. Or they learn to test riders and see what the rider will put up with. This kind of testing and discerning behavior is avoidable with careful planning and training. But once the horse learns, it can get away with certain behaviors with certain types of riders. It can't really unlearn that. So it's better to take that bull by the horns and uh, let that horse get used to different types of riders in a very supervised and controlled setting so the horse learns the right things. Finally, another scenario I can think of easily where it might be a good idea to let someone else ride your horse is if maybe you want to ride someone else's horse. So horse switching is a lot of fun and it gets you used to riding different horses. At the same time, it gets those horses used to being ridden by different riders Let's say you are getting ready to join me in Ireland for a week-long riding adventure on a horse you've never seen before, and you want to be the one to ride someone else's horse. Switching up horses can be informative and interesting to the horse. When I was a kid, we used to do that all the time. They used to make us do it in horse shows. Uh, But I think liability issues got in the way of that, and people... Uh, got away from that. But if you have a group of friends you ride with, you might want to think about doing some fun stuff like that, just on a casual basis, just kind of to have a little fun and, and build your own confidence on riding different horses. All of these reasons sort of imply the obvious benefits to letting someone else ride your horse or getting to ride someone else's horse. And the story of the older mare I was training was enough to convince me that it's a bad idea to only let a horse get used to one rider. But there are a few more good reasons to allow a horse to be ridden by others. And first and foremost is simply sharing the joy of horses with others. Horses are amazing animals. They are in our DNA People that have never even been around horses before have dreams about horses. And sharing your horse with others is a really magical thing. And you never know who you will inspire and who will go on to do great things on horses or with horses. So that in and of itself is a great reason. To watch how your horse responds and behaves with a different person is super illuminating. And it can be very fun as well. It can be really rewarding and inspiring to watch a more accomplished rider do very cool stuff with your horse. It'll leave a a picture in your mind of what your horse is capable of and, you know, what you will ultimately attain with that horse. And to be honest, a horse that is anxious or difficult to handle, that might only be accustomed to being around one person, that horse has a very risky future. It could end up at risk should something happen to you. So above all else, we owe it to horses to make sure they are solid, reliable, safe horses so they never are, quote unquote, unwanted. I get on other people's horses constantly in clinics and demos. It's one of the perks of my job and I value it a lot. We truly do learn something from every horse. And through the years, I've gotten to ride some amazing horses. Might there be a time when other people riding your horse is a bad idea? Of course. First and most obvious uh, would be, it would be a bad idea to let someone else ride your horse if your horse is unreliable, untrained, if your horse is fearful or post-traumatic or unpredictable in any way. That would be a bad idea. Obviously, if you and your horse are an elite competitive team going to high-level competitions and such, you are riding in the mind meld realm where you and your horse truly are are operating as one unit, and you wouldn't want any interference with that during your competition phase. Now, when you're on the layoff period or an off time, it, it could be a possibility. Obviously, if putting a different rider on your horse would be unsafe in any way, mentally and or physically, 
for the horse or inappropriate for the rider, it's not a good idea. You know, it can be stressful for a horse to change riders a lot. Horses do love to know what's coming next, and they do thrive off routine and sameness. So introducing a new rider to a horse can cause them some stress. So in uh, managing an anxious horse's stress, it might be something to consider. On the other hand, the sooner a horse learns to accommodate different riders, the less stressful it becomes in their future. So I, I would try to mitigate this by supervising the ride closely and watching for any signs of stress in my horse and also scripting the ride so that it's very easy on the horse. It is not a good idea to let somebody else ride your horse if in doing so the horse is going to get away with inappropriate behavior or learn bad habits like rooting the reins or breaking gait, cutting corners, walking off while mounting, or refusing to do something it's actually trained to do. So if you can't control the situation or supervise the situation closely enough, you wouldn't want to take a chance of your horse learning inappropriate behavior or bad habits. So if you decide it is a good idea to let someone else ride your horse, you do have some responsibilities and it's important to keep them in mind. First and foremost, you have a responsibility to keep both your horse and the rider safe. If you cannot ensure the emotional, physical, and mental well-being of both the horse and the human, don't do it. It's not a good idea. You also have an obligation to protect your horse's training, your horse's confidence level, and to maintain his trust in you. He's your horse, he's your responsibility, and you have a relationship with your horse, so don't betray him. Uh, Make sure that everybody comes out good on this deal. You have the responsibility to supervise all riders very closely until you are completely confident that the horse and rider get along. Um, You are never absolved of managing your horse, even when you lease it out or loan it out or put it with a professional trainer. He's your horse and you're ultimately responsible for his well-being. If I am letting other riders ride my horse, I might consider some mitigation in the case of a lower level rider. Sometimes I'll switch the bit out to something milder, even put a side pull or something like that on the horse. I might put a neck rope around her neck and encourage them to hold on there. I might lead the rider around, lunge the rider, pony the rider, let him follow another horse. Anything to make it easy on the horse and rider is a good idea. Placing a horse in professional training does not absolve you of the responsibility for that horse. You need to be observant to seek to understand the techniques that are used on your horse, the equipment that is used, and listen to your inner voice to make sure your horse is being treated fairly. But keep in mind that if you are using the services of a trainer because you have spoiled a previously well-trained horse or you've spoiled an untrained horse and taught it a lot of bad stuff, if you've turned this horse into a fire-breathing monster so you're taking it to a trainer, you may not appreciate seeing the scolding it's going to take to fix your mistakes. So, If you think scolding a horse that has learned bad behaviors or dangerous behaviors is inappropriate, then that might be the reason why your horse is acting so poorly to begin with. Um, And it's going to be harder for the trainer to undo the damage that was already done in the horse's training. So a horse that has learned unsafe or unpleasant behaviors like biting or ripping and running away, head slinging, Uh, running over the top of you, this horse is going to have to learn boundaries and it will have to have ramifications for the unwanted behaviors that you taught it. But still, corrections should be reasonable and fair and they should be swift, just one and done, not punishing in nature and not retribution in nature. So spoiled horses can turn around really fast, but just keep in mind if you are taking the horse to a trainer because you've made mistakes, it's, it's probably going to have to go through a little bit of a boot camp. So there are so many reasons to introduce your horse to new riders. It's hard for me to say exactly how you should 
do it because there's so many different reasons why you would be doing it and different backgrounds on the horses and riders and all that. But like all training, it should be done in a progressive manner. Let's say I was training my dream colt. I would probably start prep work in the summer of his two-year-old year. I'd ride him lightly in the fall of his two-year-old year. And then I'd restart in earnest, hit saddle training in the spring as a three-year-old. Once I have that colt working consistently at walk, trot, and canter in the arena and riding out in the open, I'd probably start having my assistant ride at that point too. I'd be super specific with instructions on, you know, kind of do this, don't do that, to make sure his education was consistent and to make sure his training was um, progressing in the manner I wanted. Depending on the horse, I'd likely start letting other people take a spin every now and then on the horse as a four-year-old when he's a little bit more set in his training, Um, but that would still be under very close supervision. I might even throw up a kid on him and lead him around at some point so he starts learning that some types of riders we we are going to be extra careful with. And, you know, I'd be open to any opportunities to put the right person on him. I wouldn't just be recruiting anyone and everyone as brother to get on the horse. I would just be looking for opportunities to kind of expand the Colts horizons a little bit. Too many riders uh, on a horse can definitely be a bad thing for the horse. Uh, But experience with only one rider can be detrimental as well. So there's a lot to think about here. And uh, perhaps it's easier to not ever let anyone ride your horse, but in the right circumstance, a lot of good can come of it for both the horse and the human. And a lot of joy can come from sharing your horse with others. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Some of these questions are edited slightly for clarity or for length, and I'll give you a little warning. We did not pick the questions just because they said nice things about me but I really appreciate the nice things that they said. So before we get to the first question, I wanted to share some feedback I got from a listener about last month's episode. This comes from Angela. Hi, Julie. I listened to this podcast just before a trail ride. I was eager for some helpful tips on staying relaxed for the ride. The most helpful part for me was when you said to envision how you want the ride to be and that horses do tune into this vibe. I think I've spent too much time during the ride preparing for negative things to happen. So on this ride, I kept my brain on a positive path, and it worked wonders. I am eager to listen again to this podcast to pick up more tips that I may have missed. Also, your personal stories motivate me to keep in shape, to continue an active and adventurous life in my 50s and 60s and beyond. One more thing. I have your Wind River saddle, and it is wonderful. It's so comfortable, and the narrow twist seat really helps for steering. Best, Angela. Wow. couple things to say there. First of all, what an intriguing idea that that narrow twisted saddle helps with steering. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've never really consciously thought about it, but in part it's because of the comfort, but in part it's because you can just articulate your hips a little bit better. So that's interesting. I'm glad you're enjoying uh, one of my saddles and they are truly uh, comfortable and functional. Um You know, I'm so thrilled that the podcast helped you, Angela, and I'm so glad that you sort of cottoned to the idea that what you are envisioning is what your horse is feeling. And um, this is really an exceptional thing about horses, and yet it's so hard to do when 
fear or nervousness or anxiety gets in the way. So thank you for listening. Um, thank you for making that comment. And, um, you know, it makes me inspired to do more of the same. So thank you for that. So our first question comes from Jean in my Horse Goals or Bust Facebook group. She says, I purchased my gelding five years ago. My favorite saddle, a McCall Wade that has fit all my other horses for the last 20 years, was too big on him. So I purchased another saddle that seemed like it fit him really well. After the third day of light arena work, he was hollowing his back and sinking down. I've tried other saddles and pads, but now he has a phobia. I've been using a bareback pad to ride a little, but would like to get back to a saddle. He crab walks and humps for a while, even with the bareback pad. Any ideas would be helpful. Okay, Gene. Well, first and foremost, I think the horse needs a thorough veterinary examination of his back to include x-rays. And uh, this should preferably be performed by a vet, certainly an equine vet that has a lot of lameness experience because you just, you just, what you're describing is not normal. And it points most clearly to there actually being a problem in your horse's back and not a problem with the saddle. So uh, unless and until you can rule that out, I wouldn't start shopping around for saddles. Now, is it possible that the horse has just kind of has some mental trauma and he now thinks that all saddles are going to hurt him? Yes, absolutely. And so if I have ruled out anything possibly physically going on with this horse, then I know I've actually got more of a mental problem. And so the things that you want to do would include slowing way down in the saddling and cinching process read about and think about the desensitizing techniques that you can find all over my website about advance and retreat in order to desensitize. Uh, also, I would look into some of the information on my website about dealing with a cinchy horse, uh, even if your horse is not exactly being cinchy. If he has a mental barrier there because he thinks it's going to hurt, you you want to do certain things like um, totally change the context in which you're saddling him, do it in a different place, do it in a different progression, do it in a different setting so that he's not expecting it to be the same. For instance, often with cinchy horses, you'll discover that if you, you know, stop in the middle of your ride in the arena to tighten the girth, they don't react to it at all because they're not thinking it's going to hurt them. And so changing the context of the setting often helps just really slowing it down. Uh, but making sure that you do have a saddle that he can be comfortable with. I can't just magically with a five sentence message tell you what you're going to need to do saddle wise or anything like that. But just slow it down. Take it easy. A lot of advance and retreat. A lot of praising the horse, putting him in new context. Um, that should help him get past his, his mental barrier if that is indeed uh, what you're dealing with. And our next question is from Benjamin. And, you know, this is not the first question we've answered from Benjamin. And I do believe I have had Benjamin in a clinic or two. So we go way back. Um, and Benjamin says, hi, Julie, I'm a big fan of your podcast and of all your educational materials. And I love how clearly you explain the topic at hand. You are my go-to resource when I have questions about any aspect of horsemanship and horse care. In that vein, I have a 17-year-old American Quarter Horse, which I've owned for the last three and a half years. When I got him, he was a mess, both physically and especially mentally. He was underfed with a lot of anxiety that caused him to spook and dump his riders quite often. He is in great health now. I enjoy riding him in the arena four to five times per week and the occasional trail ride, practicing skills I've learned from your training videos and clinics. But it took me a couple of years to get him to this point. Now my life is changing a bit and I find myself wanting to do other non-horse related things like vacationing overseas for extended periods of time, kind of similar to what you are doing with your amazing boat. 
but I'm very worried about losing all the work and effort I've put in over the last few years to get him to where he is today. My main goal is to maintain where he is and keep him as sound and healthy as possible for as long as possible. I have sometimes paid to have him hand walk for 20 minutes in the arena when I've been away for a few days. It is not expensive, but it can add up if I'm away for a month. How much time and how much frequency should my horse be exercised in order to maintain his fitness level, both physically and mentally? I truly value your opinion and would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for everything you do. Like your podcast says at the beginning, you are an inspiration. Best, Benjamin. Well, you are so kind and that is so sweet. And actually, I really promise I didn't pick your question just because of all the nice things you said. But I thank you for them. I picked your question because it has a lot to do with the things we've been talking about in today's episode. And first of all, you know, I don't know how long you're talking about being away from this horse. And presumably, you have this horse boarded somewhere where they're going to take care of it. Someone will be taking care of the uh, physical needs of the horse, including turnout. And including, you know, being interacted with every day by humans. So that's all going to stay the same. And um, so it seems like your main focus is on physical conditioning. But I also, maybe I'm reading between the lines, but it also seems like uh, probably your horse has some special mental considerations just based on the history and what you've been through. So you want to make sure he's very well protected and he feels very safe and comfortable with the people that are going to be handling him in your absence. But I also don't know what you mean by an extended time. With one month, I would be tempted to say, you know, I just wouldn't worry about it. I would give your horse a nice break. And like I was talking about bringing Annie back, I just, you know, take a two, three weeks when you get back after that one month of being gone to bring the horse back into a working condition, both mentally and physically. If you're going to be gone for two months, um, you know, maybe that's a little different. Maybe we want to start thinking about a little bit more exercise for this horse. I think, you know, hand walking for even 10 or 15 minutes, uh, let's say three times a week is, is probably plenty of exercise at a maintenance level. But if you're going to be gone for more than two months, then it's probably a good idea to see about some regular exercise for your horse. It shouldn't take much lunging. I like to free lunge the horses in a bigger pen, like an indoor arena or even a big arena. I like to free lunge them with other horses if that's a possibility because it's more fun for them. I, I like to say misery loves company. And it's um, not being confined and on a line is a little more fun for exercise. But you know your horse and you know the people that you have to pull on. But if you're boarding your horse, you know, might you might be able to just find someone there that's, you know, for a lesser amount of money um, willing to do something with your horse two or three times a week. Um, just, just realize that if you do give the horse... Uh, much more than um, 30, 45 days of a break from exercise. You'll bring them back a little slower. But if your horse is in good shape now, they're not going to go back all the way to zero by just having two or three months off. So I would also be concerned about making sure the horse was staying connected to people and not just sort of uh, out with a herd becoming kind of a little bit feral-minded. So uh, those are the things that I, I would be concerned with. And I'd do it. Just just do it, Benjamin. You can, you can make this happen. You can have your cake and eat it too when it comes to horses. So good luck with your horse. That's all we have time for today. And I really want to thank you for listening. Next month, I'll be back with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you won't miss it. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all the great feedback, suggestions, and questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most, so if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight 
or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Ride On with Julie Goodnight is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. And invite your equestrian friends to join us. If you like the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review it. It means a lot to me and it helps new listeners find the podcast. Don't forget to check out my online memberships to the Academy. You'll find tons of training resources on the topics you want to know more about. Get online coaching directly from me with my Interactive Academy membership. I'll help you assess where you and your horse are now so that you can move forward with a structured training plan and personalized coaching from me at every step of the way. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills, I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings so that more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm.